Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 331. Thank you for tuning in, guys. This week's guest is, I'm, I think I mentioned it at the end, I can't remember if I mentioned it at the end or after we um, stopped recording, but he's been one of my absolute saviours of lockdown. Um, at the start of lockdown, Gangs of London, a lot of you will have seen online, I was really hyped for, and I loved it, it blew me away. Um but then at this this later point of the pandemic, I May Destroy You on the BBC and on iPlayer. It's just mind-blowing. It's one of the best pieces of TV in recent years, easily. No exaggeration. I'm glad to see that the reviews are, are saying so. But for example, in the last few years, people have talked about normal people as being ex- exceptional, fleabag. You know, I'm focusing on things f- from the BBC here. As a, as exceptional bits of drama with comedy and with all sorts of other elements in there, I May Destroy You is up there, if not ahead of all of them, for me personally. So I strongly urge you to watch it. And go and listen to the two previous episodes with Michaela Cole on Distraction Pieces. She's been on twice. I'm a huge fan of her, as you will hear. In the episode, I'm going to keep this intro br- brief. The last few weeks have been some of the most well-received episodes I've done. The defund the police episode, I've had more feedback on than possibly any other episode. Um, If you've not heard it, go and listen. The point of it was, it was a movement or hashtag that I saw and thought, what? And then I looked into more and thought, oh, there's more to this than the name suggests. So I, instead of just rambling on about it myself, I spoke to experts. I spoke to professors and doctors who've studied the areas in question long before it became a meme, a hashtag, or um, a poster, a protest. Uh, So yeah, go and check that out. It's been overwhelming the amount of police officers I've heard from who went in with a negative relationship with the defund the police hashtag movement statement and came out I mean, in many cases, fully supporting it, which is mind-blowing. Because, again, if this isn't luring you in, if you haven't listened, then go and have a listen. But also, last week's episode with Ashley Dottie Charles, uh, a fantastic episode because it's about the nature of outrage, uh, culture of outrage, the social media pushing of outrage and it's a fascinating one and perfectly timed for all the stuff that's going on at the moment so yeah there's a few things for you to check out but let's jump into this chat now uh, with Papa Esiadu as said I've only become a fan of this guy in 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 recent months but he's jumped out and shone out of every everything I've I've seen him in so when the opportunity came to talk to him I was absolutely delighted there's one thing he brings up that I'm going to talk to you a bit more about at the end because I think it's important, but I don't want to spoil anything. So, oh, oh, a warning. We had some sound issues and it was completely my fault. Um, it still sounds great because Buddy Peace is the best producer in the world. Shout out to Buddy Peace. But normally I record my end and the guest records their end. And as a backup, I record the Zoom feed as two separate ch- ch- channels. That's boring and won't be of interest to you but it means that we can still make the zoom feed sound good if we have to fall upon it and for the first time in six years of doing this i had a glitch on my side of the recording so we didn't have that but buddy had papas and obviously the zoom feed so it sounds great anyway if it's jarring at first i promise you you'll get used to it it's still really great so yeah anyway i thought i'd warn you of that um this is episode 332 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Papa Essiadu. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. Right, I'm here today with Papa Essiadu. There's a lot of stuff that you've done recently that I've just been so into. So I'm mad excited to talk about it all. But there's also been a hell of a lot going on in the world. So first yeah. and foremost, just how are you? Are you good? You know? You know what? Like, 
It's hard, man. It's been up and down. And obviously, like, it's just overwhelming. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's so much going on, like, even before we even go into what's happening politically, globally, like, even just, like, the intensity of COVID and what that's doing to our communities, what that's doing to our industries, what that's doing to our country is a lot you know yeah. so like we're kind of like boxed in in our own brains anyway but like yeah i'm not gonna lie like in terms of what's happening globally in this country in america or whatever it's overwhelming yeah and it's overwhelming and it's affecting me in a different way each day yeah it's 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 a mad one and speaking to a few of my different black friends it's that mad balance between uh, the, the responsibility to look after yourself and take care of your own yeah. mental health and the, yeah. and, and the implied or, or felt responsibility to be speaking up, to be being active and that kind of thing. And it's like, it's such a complex mix there that, that. Yeah. I mean, I think right now I'm quite, I'm quite passionate about the idea, especially black people, especially have to be able to be brave enough to, care for themselves and love themselves right now you know because like this kind of like prevailing narrative and like overwhelming kind of um tapestry of black trauma black death black pain that we're kind of unfortunately sadly used to but like it's kind of like being pushed to the front of everything right now in terms of social media the news cycle whatever it's actually got getting to a point where it's a it's 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 a radical act yeah. for for black people to just kind of like take care of themselves and do things that are loving to themselves right now, which is just like almost depressing, and especially at a time when there need there is such a need for protest and there's such a need for clapback and there's such a need for voices to be speaking loudly. It's also the time when um, particularly black people are at most. Um, are most affected and uh, are, are going through the most amount of pain. So it's like, it, it, you're right. It is complex, but I do, I do passionately believe that um, it's important for black people to love themselves and care for themselves. Um, number one. Yeah. Right now. A hundred percent. Have you, have you found it helpful that you've had shit to be doing in lockdown? Cause I think that's magnifying everything <laughs> for everyone. You know what I mean? Any, as we've seen with pre, pre, uh, George Floyd and all of this, just anything that happened, people were getting mad hectic about just because we're so bored. Yeah. So it magnifies yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. But you've had like like ADR st- stuff to do, you were saying. I'm sure we can't talk about what it's for. That's the standard in every... Well, it was actually, it was actually for I May Destroy You. Oh, like, really? It's mad because like, yeah, because we, we finished, we didn't even fit, we finished filming it maybe like a couple months, something before, before lockdown started. And we were meant to be in the middle of our kind of post-production and like, for a long time for, for a bit there was a bit where it was very touch and go we were like are we going to be able to do this like wow. there are part there are actors in the in the cast that live in italy and this was happening when italy was in like lockdown yeah. you know like no one's allowed to leave their house so like yeah we had to kind of improvise I, I was just telling you that i was doing like adr sessions using like my duvet and a chair <laughs> to like create a studio booth you know it's not as glamorous as um you might expect of a hbo bbc series but I, I love yeah that. i mean obviously it's good to have something to do but it's still hard you know? yeah of course of course like how's it been because normally when you talk to someone about the project that's currently out it's the project that they filmed like three projects ago because this, this industry is so fast moving from the actor's point of view and slow moving from actually putting everything together. But I guess because of lockdown, I may destroy you was maybe the thing you worked on last and, you know, (laughs) but it's been like the reaction I've seen so far. I, I got to see a little preview of the first four episodes and I thought, but I'll watch a one episode tonight and then I'll catch the rest. I'll do my prep. I binged all four and it just blew me away. It's amazing. And yeah. it's been really cool to see the reaction to it because it is the kind of thing that you watch and go, well, I hope people get this and, cl- and click to this. Because anything that's pushing the boundaries a bit and at points isn't, I was going to say isn't comfortable viewing, but it's really weird that it tackles such heavy subjects, but it does feel comfortable. Like, like how's it been kind of seeing the reaction and getting there? Well, I mean, yeah, I think we were all very curious about what the reaction was going to be like like obviously for me it's like particularly interesting because I know Michaela really well she's an old friend of mine um so like 
in terms of like even the nascence of the idea of the project like um it's been a long journey but i can't i i i I find it really interesting because like people have been like hugely i guess complimentary in response but so many people have been like i recognize that i recognize those people i recognize this situation and like it's interesting that people are like oh my god there's not been something like this on the bbc before but is it is it that extreme like a lot of the things that are happening in the show happen to all of us on a very regular basis and all of us have got a story about it and it's more about like just how comfortable or how brave we are to kind of like talk about it let alone put it on the screen so I think that's the reason why so many people have been like so responsive to it because it's um it's saying it's saying what is unsaid but shouldn't be unsaid completely and it's We've seen in recent years with things like I mean I should ex- explain that the, the 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 crux of the story that's that's carrying through is is Michaela Cole's character has had a night out and she's blacked out on part of it and she's having kind of flashbacks to some clearly dark shit that went on um, again without giving too much away you can obviously imagine a, a, a what's happened here and. The Me Too movement alone has has made it clear that r- rape and sexual abuse and all things like that is prevalent. But outside of social media, since mm. that has all started to be talked about more, I've heard from friends of mine who have been spiked, who have had mm. nights that they don't remember. And the fact that it is s- such a common occurrence... But, but this show feels like no one's ever th- 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 done this before. Yeah. It's kind of mind-blowing. It blows my mind because, like, again, it's like we've all, like, just just from... from and it's sad because for me it's from a young age. From a young age I, I, I kind of remember friends of mine um having had that experience of like waking up feeling like completely blacked out I didn't know what happened last night feeling woozy for like days on end afterwards not being able to fill in the gaps and it actually not being made into a big thing both from our perspective as friends and from the person who's had something perpetrated to them you know so like I think it's the actual thing of like being inside the body and like the thing that Michaela does so well is that she doesn't distance herself from her characters or from her stories. And especially for a story like this, it's very easy to be able to do that. She doesn't distance um the viewer from it, mm. you know, so that you really feel like you're going through it yeah. with all of the characters that kind of... um come into contact with any sort of assault in the show and it's not just Michaela I think that's another thing like it's not just like the drink being spiked the show kind of like looks at consent and how that um how that morphs in different scenarios you know and how like consent can be taken away from you in many different ways the show is really good at like putting the viewer in the shoes of the character and like I just think it's so sad but like also amazing that a lot of people are able to talk about it especially in response to this show. And and it doesn't, as a show, it doesn't make any excuses or doesn't bow down to any, um, I, don't, I don't know, I guess any easy routes. Like mm. it allows Michaela's character to be a sexual character who, you know what I mean? Mm. It, it doesn't have to be this, this prissy, prudish woman that has his. Mm. And Kwame as well, like your character, the storylines that you kind of, I'm only up to episode four, so again, I won't say too much, but the the fact that he's a very sexually active and sexually casual person, again, it would have been easy to steer in a different direction. I think it's beautiful the way, as you say, consent can be given, consent can be taken away, consent can be stopped halfway through, all of these things. it, It addresses all of that, but not in a a painted by numbers way if you know what I mean in a very natural and real way it's not painted by numbers but it's real that's humanity do you know what I mean like we like everyone has sex do you know what I mean we're all sexual people and we all know what it feels like to 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 do that and like I think it's important that we also realize that it's not just kind of like the so-called weak-willed kind of like invite it onto themselves yeah. type people that get abused you know it's often it, it, it's it's just as likely to happen to someone who's completely in their body and completely comfortable with their sexuality and confident with their sexuality and open and like you know sharing with it you know that can still happen and like 
that's the thing about consent. Like people talk about consent and they're always talking about gray areas as a gray area. And like, well, you said it then, does it mean it's then and blah, blah, blah. I think that just like creates excuses for people to abuse it, you know? And like the longer we kind of leave that as a kind of like valid excuse, the longer I think people are going to have these like horrible things done to it, to them. And like people are going to get their consent thiefed away from them. So. I think it's also important to talk about, like, I mean, the show is not just like, it's not just like, that's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say. Like, you worked with Michaela as well on the amazing uh, Black Earth Rising, which blew me away. But you've got similarly, like, heavy subject matter, but with Black Earth Rising, which was legit, like, one of my favorite shows in recent years, the writing had to be very dense and very heavy. So it Mm. was. It was mm. one of the best things I watched, but it, I did have to mm. be in the right mood uh, to be, you know what I mean? Like, I'm ready man. to take to this concentrate. in. I need to be, I'm learning about different conflicts that I didn't know about. There's so much I need to take in. Whereas whilst I May Destroy You covers subjects that are different, but still hugely challenging, it manages to do it with a lightness and a flow that doesn't make it feel like hard work. Um, yeah. Is, is that down to Michaela's, writing I guess I mean I I had a note here to say that she's a national treasure but I think a nation (laughs) is in such a questionable place in recent years that I can't I can't say that feeling like it's the compliment it deserves to be but she she's a treasure she's absolutely I think her writing and her her approach is just amazing so yeah I I think she's treasured by the nation and like quite rightly so whether we um, deserve her or not Hey, you know, you know what? You can ask her. You can ask her for permission on that. But like, <laughs> I think like in many ways, it's a show about it's it's a show about being like young and black and in London and creative. And you know, I was watching some scenes, right? And especially like watching it in lockdown, I was watching some scenes that like set in a club, mm. right? Set in a club and like having a round of shots or like you know doing whatever you do in a club, and it just made me like desperate to go back to that made me miss it so much you know like the idea of like getting dressed going out listening to music getting a kebab getting a cab back it's like that feels like a different world you know and i think like she transports us into that kind of like vibe and energy with such like a problem that um there are there are real like genuine highs in the show that allow us to maybe earn some of those like more serious and dark dark moments and i think your character is one of, although obviously dark storylines come in, I think he's key yeah. to that that flow. Like, how was it to get a character like this on the page and then to kind of go, right, like, do you want to describe him a bit, I guess? Yeah, so Kwame is like, yeah, like one of um, Arabella, who's played by Michaela's characters, one of her, fr- one, of, one of her best friends, right? It's her, it's, it's her Kwame and Terry, who's played by Richie Opia. Mm. And, they're just fun, you know? It's just like those, that group of mates that just like know each other, can finish each other's sentences, like have a almost like physical conversation with each other. You know, them ones where like, it's like you start a conversation and it just kind of like goes into like more like movements and gestures before it actually gets into like the actual crux of jokes, you know? Yeah. So like he's definitely set up as this like very confident, easygoing, happy, um, and yeah, sexually active man who's kind of like re- he's like he's really kind of making the most of grinder and having have it like making the most of his life you know and with 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 confidence and and comfortableness you know and i guess like yeah as we get into the series he finds himself in a position where that's compromised and the kind of trauma of that event is played out in lots of different ways. And some of those ways are kind of like things that we might imagine. And some of those ways are kind of like really unpredictable and uh, surprising, I guess. So, um, I think that's like, again, for me, it was like, that was like a study of like the kind of like different faces of trauma and how, um, it's, it's, it's definitely not what you might expect it to be sometimes yeah. i think the comfort that you mentioned is is key to everyone in it or particularly that group of friends and one of the things that jumped out yeah. at me that confused me that i've not seen on screen before is that at points people will have their phones out 
like crime in particular will be yeah. will be going through. And it's not like it's this break in the conversation. It's part of the flow because that's that's yeah, that's the yeah, reality yeah. of of close friends. You can all be in the conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. and quickly have a check, bang, move on, continue, go yeah. back and forth, rather than in TV and film it will tend to be. And at that point, they turn away and look at their phone. Exactly, and then it's, it's all very well mannered, isn't yeah. it? You can only afford to kind of have such in inverted commas poor manners with someone that you really not love and that you really know. Yeah, do you know what I mean? And um, they know each other, and they turn up for each other, they support each other, and they're the exact right friends they need to be for each other. So it's a real, like in many ways, it's a real love story between the three of them. Yeah, I mean, you talked about it being a study in kind of in in the reaction to to trauma. What was your kind of route into acting because it's 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 it's, i saw a a a a bafta chat recently where you were saying you weren't a drama school kid and all this kind of thing but it feels like because again like i've I've watched your your hamlet which is on bbc iplayer at the moment and things like that so you've come through stage onto screen in a kind of back and forth between the two what was your your route like growing up was acting something you wanted to do but didn't feel you could like what was the the journey there it's not even like it's something that i wanted to do but didn't think i could it's just that i didn't know anyone who did that you know i grew up in walthamstow in east london low-income single parent family like i didn't have any relatives that were i'd never been to a fit i didn't i've never been to a theater until mm. i was like 17 or 18 do you know what i mean there, there are no theaters in that part of london or the nearest ones in stratford and it just wasn't kind of like part of my cultural language, you know, but like I always loved film and I always loved TV and like crack it and like that kind of like makes its way into like the playground or whatever in terms of your friendship group. So I was always kind of like, I had a kind of performer in me, yeah. do you know what I mean? So like I was kind of fortunate, like quite late in the game, I, I had a mate who did a thing called National Youth Theatre, which like quite a lot of young actors do um which is different from your kind of like stage schooly type yeah, like tap dancing shoes and all of that it was just like a bunch of people that were just like interested in learning things about about performance and it was kind of through that that I kind of got um ideas about going to drama school and blah 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 but I always felt I always felt I was like way behind what all the other kids were doing yeah because I didn't have experience so I remember turning up on my first day of drama school and thinking they'd made a mistake about me because everyone else had been like oh I'd done this play or I'd done a bit in this tv show or whatever and whatever and I'd been like I'd done nothing you know so like definitely for for me the first kind of long time first like five six seven eight years of like my journey into acting was a lot to do with like self-doubt and like a desire to learn so I think that's why I started off doing plays because like when you're doing a play you can like number one you get to like watch other actors night after night after night and you can really observe like why is that actor so watchable likable or good you know and you watch what they do and how they grow and you can take that whereas like it's a little bit different when you're doing screen because obviously you do take after take after take but like once you've got a scene it's done you move on so you don't get that same kind of like repetition that you can recall from so yeah it was it was late in the game and i was going to be a doctor in it like really yeah i was going to be a doctor my my, my mom's Ghanaian, you know so like when you're Ghanaian, <laughs> yeah. when, when you got Ghanaian parents your options are doctor lawyer or like accountant or dentist or whatever so i actually had a place at ucl oh wow to study medicine full fully and i had to like break the news to my mum that like i was going to turn down that that place and like go off and do this thing called acting and she was like what's acting you had to come out as an actor i love that that you had had to to come out as an actor can you imagine the trauma (laughs) i don't know if the trauma is worse for me or her but um yeah i love that though and i had to to drop that it feels like this the the kind of the self-doubt or the feeling that you're not meant to be there i think that can often be the thing that will set you apart because it will make you hungrier and make you n- not feel entitled and make you want to, as I mm. said, the fact that I, lo- I love that, that you were saying about the, the thing about stages, you get to watch other people and learn from them and be part of that. Mm. And like I've seen it uh, moving into acting in, in the last five years where I'll be like so hyped to be on set. And it's amazing. I've worked mm. in factories over the years. I've done all this other stuff. And, but you'll see some people, I mean, often in smaller roles who did have that kind of more drama school entitledness, 
who will be very kind mm. of annoyed at how long they're having to wait and and turn in and yeah. annoyed that they're only in the background of this bit and they should be here or there. And I on the first acting yeah. gig I ever ever did, um, Aidan Gillen was was in a, a scene with me and I loved him from the from from the wire and all sorts of stuff. And um, God, he's amazing, isn't he's, he? He's amazing and. I looked and thought... Tommy Carcetti. Yeah, I looked and thought, right, he's an actor I really appreciate. He's in the background, and I'm in the background. And and the, uh, one of the guys who was on my level had been moaning this whole time, like, I thought we were going to be doing this and doing that. And I'm trying to block <laughs> this guy's yammering out to go, I'm watching him. <laughs> and and I learned tons from that, because I realised, I've said it loads of times on the podcast, so people will be bored, but I realised his character didn't know he's in the background. Do you know what I mean? In his character's yeah, world, he's yeah. in the foreground. In all of our worlds, we're yeah. always in the foreground. And just watching him, I was like, he's not got these planned things he's doing. He's not overdoing anything. He's not trying to steal any scenes. He's just existing there. And it was like, that was the best the best lesson. But that yeah, for sure. I was excited but- to look at other people and learn from, have that buzz rather than go, well, all I'm having to do is this. So I'll just start. Well, that's about ego. That's about ego, isn't it? And like, it's, it's, it's about an understanding of what the process is because like, I don't, I think like any, like most great, great, great pieces of art, at least pieces of work are egoless. And like, it's, it's difficult to say that when you think about like great performances, you think about Marlon Brando, you think about Daniel Day-Lewis, Method Acting, all of that stuff. But really like even those performances, I like that to serve the story yeah. and the story is not just bound to like the ego of one actor. It's connected to all the actors, all the writers, all the directors, all the crew, all the makeup, all the costume. There are so many people involved in even making like one moment, like spectacular, that it's mad to think that, oh, but like I'm not in front of the camera. So like, how can this be right? You know, like if you actually really care about making something special, then you've got to like, You've, I think you've got to make a serious shift in your in 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 your mindset in terms of how you how you create stories in terms of how you relate to story making, and it's egoless. I completely agree. The quicker you can, the quicker you can get rid of that, the 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 more satisfied you're going to be. And I think again that comes from like doing plays because like like I did plays where I was like playing like shrew number eight and like. <laughs> you know pizza rat and like carrying like chairs around the back of whatever you know for outstanding for hours in like hot costumes like doing whatever but still felt like a really really vital cog in a stage picture or in a moment or a storytelling set piece and I think that allows me to like because I've still got that mindset that allows me to like kind of like what you're saying like when I'm on set I'm just like so gassed to be like talking to like the cameraman or the grip about like what they're doing in order to affect a moment why they're moving the camera at a certain pace or why they're kind of like going to zoom in at a certain angle you know like once you what it's really humbling because like when you realize that how complex and complicated other people's jobs are and you realize that all you've got to do is like stand in a funny costume and speak in a stupid voice it's humbling trust 100%. me 100 percent. i remember the first time i had like a 4 a.m or 5 a.m call and i was like i got in and i'm all tired and i'm like oh. and then i got there, i was like oh shit like all this shit is set up like yeah david they get here? Three. when did they that's it i was like when the fuck did they get here and I'm going to be the one that gets to be on camera and gets to, like, when it's on yeah. TV, you say to my mates, oh, did you see me? They're not going to get to do <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're, they're just doing it and they're creating it and they're being such a key part in it all that, yeah, you can't get any yeah. kind of ego or grumpiness no, on, you, that, you, on that nonsense. You've got to show love to, you've got to show love to everybody, especially on sets, because, like, the hardest working people, them people that are there from 2 a.m., the, the first people there and the last people to leave. Yeah they're the people that make a set work, you know? And suddenly you turn up and you're like, oh, I need, I just need a coffee, you know? I can't, I can't work until I love the coffee. Like, who do you think's bought the coffee? Who do you think's got the hot water ready? Who do you think's, like, made sure there's cups, spoons, like, all that boring, all that, like, stuff that you wouldn't think about? Yeah. Trust me, like, the actors are the last, the last piece of the puzzle. I completely agree. So, uh, speaking of kind of, of progressing along your stage journey from being sh- shrew number like eight. Um, <laughs> how was it doing Hamlet? Cause that was, I mean, it was a huge, a, 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 a bold take on it. You know, it was a primarily a, 
was it 100 percent black cast or primarily black cast and a slight no. of the of this of costume wise and era kind of thing was all it's massive yeah. right well i mean like we were kind of like it's funny because like obviously i had to audition it was with the rsc and i had to audition for this part and like, i remember getting the email through from my agent being like you've got an audition to play hamlet in hamlet and it's like what, what? like that never happens like it's always like this is hamlet starring you know david tennant bending cumberbatch whatever yeah. the, even even the idea of auditioning for it is just a bit mad but like obviously i think once we kind of like decided it was going to be me playing that part we wanted to create a production that spoke to that. We didn't want to kind of like ignore it or like kind of go down like a necessarily color blind route. We wanted to create a production that spoke to um, a story that was personal to all of the people in the cast. So yeah, it was a majority. Um, it, was, it, was a, it was a cast made majority, majority of black actors, um, not exclusively, but like, yeah, we kind of like created our own take which was still obviously true to Shakespeare's language and play, um, but we created our own take that was um, that that took like stories from the cast that inf- influenced the costume, that influenced the music. So the music was composed by Sholak and Bola, who's like the percussionist from Jamiroquai. Wow. Yeah, He's yeah, like yeah. a Yoruba, like absolute born on the drums you know like and he ended up performing in it as well as like a certain character so like it was a very collaborative moment you know and that's generally how I like to work I like to I guess you're getting that from the way I'm speaking I, I, I like to like draw ideas from as many different creatives because like people are smarter than you are yeah. you know? so like if you get ideas from other people you can you can great you can create something great completely so how was that to kind of because it must be in general and again it's certainly the way it is is for me at the moment is you're looking at characters and roles in your excitement to play them taking on a role mm. like that and then knowing it's going to shape the whole production there's a separate mm. pressure there as well, essentially to go back to screen coming are your number one on the call sheet. And that's a really important mm. role for the way any project or production goes, right? Cause you're yeah, at yeah, the yeah. front of how the, how the vibe is, like how the morale is, like how the tone, how was that as a kind of a double thing to take into account? Yeah. I want to play Hamlet, but actually also it's not just what am I going to do artistically? It's what am I going to do? to hold this all together and be at the, at the front. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I, I guess I know what you're saying. It was like the, it was like one of the first times that I kind of found myself in that position, definitely in a production of that skill. And yeah, there's a certain level of like people being like, all right, go and show us what you can do, you know? <laughs> yeah. And like, I guess we're lucky we had a long rehearsal process because like, Definitely for the first few weeks, like, I can't imagine anyone was particularly impressed by me, so-called showing them what I could do. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I mean, it's just like, I'm really committed, you know, and like, I work hard and I take it seriously, you know, so like obviously for me like it's really important to create an ensemble or to create a group or a vibe that people feel comfortable working in so it's not just work 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 and whipping people or whatever but like I can't be the one who's turning up like not knowing my lines or I can't be the one turning up without ideas or I can't be the one turning up not really knowing what part of the play we're rehearsing that day you know so it's just that for me it was just about having making sure that my stuff was always on point at least in terms of my effort and then uh maybe like if like my actual attainment wasn't quite up to scratch i could um hope that time would take care of that i love you know what I mean but like i love that do you, um do you, think, yeah. do you think that's influenced by your upbringing i mean you, you said <laughs> as a Ghanaian so child the pressure is on to be a doctor or this or that so there's gonna be that organizational work ethic element rather than purely yeah. artistic element and i think that does shine through at times again in my early stage in acting i'm like i know i can work ethic the fuck out of everyone i'm I'm still learning the rest of it (laughs) but i know i can i can outwork and out prepare all of these these fuckers so do you think that's 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 that 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 comes from growing up as you said single parent family yeah east london like i'm i think i'm very fortunate to have been raised the way i did like i owe like 
everything to my mum and like my like we never had anything given to us on the plate like you know it was never like easy in that way so like that she was always an amazing example for me in terms of like the that her work work ethic and her kind of like refusal to lose as it were and kind of like <laughs> she never kind of allowed me to be able to do that she was always like if you're running a race you have to make sure you're going faster at the end than at the beginning do you know what I mean? Yeah, no matter yeah, how yeah. like painful it is, so like yeah, it's definitely it definitely comes for, for me. It comes from her, and like it's kind of like non negotiable now. And I think you're right, man. Like as like for me, like if I know I can at least like work the f out of something, then like I can believe that eventually something else will come through. But like that kind, of, I I'd be terrified if I was the other way inclined you know if you're kind of like relying on talent or relying on like something like turning up and being able to do it what happens on the day that it doesn't work yeah. or what hasn't what happens on the day that like no one's impressed then you're like you've got nothing to fall back on you know so I, I'd, I'd much rather have it this way around yeah uh, one of the things uh, Riz Ahmed told me early on was if you've worked if you've put in that work to learn your lines inside and out and all this kind of thing it means that when there are those moments of improvisation or those moments of random magic, you're comfortable enough to drift into them. Cause if you go back to what was on page, then you're good, but you can go anywhere you want rather than if you're so focused on, I don't really know it. I need to really keep it clear in my head. Then when you you go off of that, it's even harder. So that's what I always tell like people, like the young people that I mentor in terms of like acting and that like preparations, like, the key thing but it's also you've got to be able to prepare to a fact that you can just to, to a point where you can just let it go yeah. you know like no one likes watching tension yeah. like whether it's an actor whether it's a musician whether it's a football player like you look at like the great footballers and they just make it look easy you know they don't look like they're trying hard yeah. and that's only because of the hours of preparation that's been put in and I think you can apply that to anything especially acting you know because like yeah those moments of magic that you see especially and you see I think I personally think that you especially see that either in plays or in comedy shows right like like sometimes i watch dave Chappelle and like he's got that ability to just like if someone like says something he can like nail them back just like that and that's because that comes from a total relaxation being able to be like yeah i know my show but like i'm not going to do it the same every time i'm not chasing that laugh in exactly the same way yeah you know it's like real it's got that's true confidence and that comes from preparation i love that um i mean Speaking of something that will have needed a lot of preparation, a lot of organisation, can we talk Gangs of London a bit? Because that was that that <laughs> that kicked off lockdown for me. It's weird because I've been ages ago. It's it, I've got a weird a, a, a weird relationship with the show because ages ago I did a tweet saying, "Why has the UK never had its Gamora or the Wire or or or, mm. or these things?" And a few people said. A top boy, which was a, gr- a great shout. And one person early on mm. said, "Oh, there's this this show, Gangs of London, coming." And that was like a year before it was it was on its mm. way. And mm. and and Corinne Hardy was tagged in it, so I just spent the rest of that year waiting f- for it. And he'd see me tweet about it every now and then, be like, "I'm waiting. You've got you've got to deliver on this. This has got to be one." Do you know Corinne? No, not really. It was it was only because of that he he messaged me after it came out saying, "You know what? I'm so pleased that you enjoyed it because." that tweet exchanged like a year before we'd even like got it all, jokes, all wrapped. It was jokes, like, it played jokes, on my jokes. mind that we had to, to, to deliver. Yeah. That. And I think it did, man. It's Gareth Evans and Matt Flannery as well. Just, I'm a big fan of the raid films and yeah, that translated into a TV setting. It was amazing. It must've been an exciting one to be part of. Cause you get, it's another big ensemble cast with a huge story across across london as such yeah how was that it's about scale for me yeah like like similarly to you like i remember watching the raid and the raid 2 both when they're in the cinemas you know like however many years ago that was and like i remember thinking like i'm not even necessarily one for like kung fu films or necessarily even action films but i remember watching those films and being like there's something like so operatic about the physical language of these films that it feels different it doesn't feel like um 
ostentatious. It doesn't feel like pornographic in its violence. It just feels like beautiful mm. almost, you know? So like I've been admirers of them as artists since day. So as soon as like I got given the opportunity to be involved in like a project like this, I would have said yes anyway. It just so happens that the project happened to be like so like amazingly epic and um real and like true to London, I think, in 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 its in, in its reality and its scale. And like I'm a Londoner and I'm a proud Londoner. And similarly to you, I kind of don't think I've I don't think we've seen, at least on a global scale and international scale, a show that's kind of like just like scraped underneath the surface of like this city yeah. in a way that like maybe Peaky Blinders does for like Birmingham or Sopranos does for New Jersey or the Wire does for Baltimore, you know, I think I, 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 I saw great potential in it from the first, the first script that I read. So I was very proud to be part of it. I completely agree. Again, I'm going back to Riz, but I always remember when Riz did a film called Shifty with, with Aaron yeah, McCready. Amazing film. Um, and, yeah. and Aaron was, his next film was Welcome to the Punch. And the point of that, the reason he made that film was he was like, London's this epic backdrop and it's never been used in the way New York has or LA has for these big action films. And that was more looking at your car chase kind of element, but it applies to gangs Mm. of of London as as well, that you look Mm. and go, we've only ever seen it used in the BBC cop drama tone Mm. and approach, which Mm. is dope as well, obviously, but it's, Mm. we've never seen it as this sprawling, amazing action landscape. And I think, that came across with you know classes on top of classes do you know what i mean it's not like here's where the posh people are like it's literally streets apart at points and yeah but do you know what i mean that is london and like the thing is london is like one of the most international cities in the world you know so like it's a dream for a writer to kind of like being able to draw on communities from all over the world you know kurds turks the irish whatever like and like like you say like i've i've lived in like council i, I remember i used to live in this council flat in in south in clapham south that was like so like shady we got robbed before we even moved into it yeah do you know what i mean we turned yeah. up and yeah. like it'd already been broken into type <laughs> thing um and this council estate was like next door to like these two million pound townhouses yeah. next door ri- literally like meters away yeah. you know so that is london like it is class on uh, on top of class and i think that's very rich in terms of the dynamics it can create between between especially people that are aspirational to amass wealth and to um kind of like aspire to be to 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 climb the ladder in terms of class and i, I think i think that's a central theme in in what people some of these these people are looking for these characters are looking for in, in gangs of london it's one of the things i loved about it was exactly as you said there the the fact that the climbing of class because it's it's really weird that it jumped out to me but it jumped out to me because i'd never seen it before that the, the second generation of this family of gangsters all talk posh and they're all posh lads because they would be. Because if you're the son of a millionaire, billionaire gangster, you're going to go to a good school and you're going to have been pleased exactly. well and had a good education. You, you're not going to go, oh, yeah. we've made millions. We still live in the East End yeah. and, 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 and this and that. So yeah. it blew me away because it's like, why... Have, hasn't anyone thought of this before? It's always like the, yeah. the the criminals are always cockneys and whatever else. And Do you know what I mean? and and the characters like, that you and Joe Cole play have got good education, and you've been brought up well. And then you've got your own levels of like it's like in the wires. Like we we referenced the wire earlier. Stringer Bell is always pushing to get on that that upper side. Now mm. what you doing gangs of london is essentially is take that down a generation it's like mm. when stringer bell got to that posh side or that that legit side his kids would then be mm. this exactly. and it's about legitimizing you know it's like you don't want to be like scrabbling around in the gutter yeah. anymore and like your parents don't want that for you either do you know what i mean like you want your everyone wants their kids to have something that they never had you know i was just listening to to a um Really interesting podcast. Louis Farou in uh, interviewing Troy Deeney, the Watford captain, and he talks I've not about to how it like yet. I saw he, that was out. It's amazing. You should you should you should listen to yeah. it. And he talks about how he kind of went from being a builder, getting a hundred and whatever quid a week, to 
um, to sign a contract with Watford and immediately going down to five grand as a 21 year old, you know, wow. and like his whole family are from like one of the biggest council estates in Europe, you know, so he immediately goes to like, we're not going to be living here anymore. We're going to move out and we're going to have different types of things. It's not about like kind of like just like stunting for the sake of stunting and like leaving your family like in 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 what was happening before you know so i think in in definitely in terms of me and joe's character or definitely in terms of my character at least like it's about legitimizing and having like big ambitions in terms of where we're going in the future and not looking back towards the past and we're able to do that as the younger generation in a way that the one the the generation before us never got the opportunities to do yeah. you know so it's about taking those opportunities and running with them how, how was working with joe on it because i had i had him on the podcast j- just as he was starting on gangs of london i think and i think he's oh, an amazing you? lad he'd just done his kickboxing one i can't think of the name of it now but yeah it blew me away. the tie boxing yeah one. and it was amazing pray before dawn that's it that's it and and yeah this was a big a big next role for him you know he is very yeah. much the 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 powerful character that's driving the storyline you know, it is an ensemble hmm. cast, but you and him are kind of the 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 br- br- brothers through upbringing kind of thing. Uh, who, yeah, 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 are having to to get through these instantly tense times. Yeah, Joe's great, man. I love Joe, and like it's amazing to kind of like watch his progression and watch what he made of that character. And it's it's funny because he's he's obviously, as you know, I guess he's very different from that in yeah. in real life. So like, I guess as am I. So like, we'd have like we'd be having we'd be like talking like this or whatever uh, off camera, and then it goes cut and suddenly it's like Queen's English yeah. and like whatever. But um, yeah, I think Joe's amazing. I loved working. I love, I love working alongside him and he's again, another kind of like very empathetic actor and he's very um, like, yeah, in, in, in many ways he's front and center in this show, but like he, he as much as anyone has like an understanding of what is required to get a show of that kind of scale, particularly in, in terms of cast size to make it work. There's, there's, there's points where you've got to step up and there's points where you've got to step backwards. And like, he was definitely very gracious in that. So yeah, he's a, he's an absolute joy to work with. I love that. How, how important are accents and voices to you in finding a character? Because again, like when we clicked on this zoom, I had no idea what you were going to sound like because I've seen you in <laughs> numerous different things and it's completely different each time, but completely g- genuine and, and, and faultless. Is that, yeah. is that key to you in, in finding the character, I guess, in transforming. It's weird. I mean, I don't often start from the accent. I, 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 I that often comes in actually quite late in the day. And I don't know if that means that I'm bad at accents. Cause I know certain people who are just like immediately they see a character and they start putting on a voice, mm. you know, but like for me, I've got to really get a feel for what they're saying before I work out how they're going to say it you know so their language comes first and what their what their words are comes first and that kind and then after that comes like the way they talk the way they move the way they are when they're silent particularly i think you can learn a lot from a camera from from a character by what they do when they're not talking Mm. you know like so many of those like again great kind of like you know particularly scorsese or coppola films like so many of those great moments no one's saying anything yeah. it's just like someone looking at someone or someone waiting for something at someone and i've always been really interested in that so fassbender in, yeah. in fassbender in shame his the yeah, moments the, speech, the, right? the huge yeah. moments of silence are just oh. amazing yeah. and, that, and it's towering you know yeah. it's so powerful you know it's you you can be so powerful film is such a visual medium particularly so you can be so powerful by what you do and what you're feeling and what you're holding in your body even more so than when you're speaking and that's the funny thing like when when you're reading the scripts like actors always like looking for like where their lines are aren't they yeah, they're always yeah, like yeah, how many yeah, lines yeah. have i got in this <laughs> yeah. scene you know but that's not what the scene's about do you know what i mean that's definitely not what it's going to be like when it's in its um in its final cut it's going to be so much to do with like what's in between those I've lines s- you know, I've, so. I've said a few times uh, that there was a period where I'd get proper annoyed every time I'd get a tweet saying, oh, I loved your cameo in Taboo. And it's like, 
was in like four, no, five or six episodes. You know, I may have only had a, <laughs> had a line here or t- here and there, but oh, exactly that. I was like, I was. I love it, mate. I'm there. I'm in it. I'm part of it. I'm, yeah. I'm doing my work, and it's like it's yeah. not all about just that. But so, how have you found that transferring from stage to screen then? Because on stage, your actions need to read in the back row. On screen, yeah, yeah, yeah. the camera is is right there, and that could be a tough thing for people yeah. to move from from stage to screen. And their acting on screen can be over the top or too expressive, and feel like yeah. it's 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 a theatre piece when they they're different mediums. They have to be approached yeah, I, in different ways. I definitely think it took me a minute to be honest. Like I I remember my first um, my first ever TV role. I won't tell you what it was in, but. I I I had no I I had no idea. Do you know what I mean? I didn't know. I literally thought it was someone going to be saying lights, cameras, action. Yeah. You know, like I I had no idea about the process of it. And similarly, I I I haven't watched it back for a long time, but I think my style of acting, as it were, was more kind of theatrical than might have been required for the particular piece. You know, oh, so. Really? And I and and scenes were cut, you know. So like I I learned that the hard <laughs> way. Do you know what I mean? They don't suffer fools in this industry at all. So like, yeah, it took me a while, but again, it's by observation. I love film and I love watching actors. And like, if you watch great actors, they say something with like a, a look of the eyes yeah. rather than like a big kind of gesture with your arm, you know. So. I think I think I think it's just about practice, 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 and like you, like we were saying earlier on, it's about preparation and like really, really knowing what you're trying to do, and then when you really know it, you don't have to try to do it; yeah. it just happens. I love that. I was, I was a, a film I was doing at the beginning of this this year. Whenever I'm in anything, even if I've got a small role, I'll try any way I can to blag my way over to monitors because I want to watch exactly yeah, the same. Yeah, or I'm not in yeah, scenes. Yeah, if I'm waiting around, if there's any way I yeah, can yeah. sit and watch on mons and, and learn, I'll be doing that. And I was yeah. doing that on this film. And it was ex- exactly that. The, 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 the actor involved was being very big with her movement and the producer yeah. and the lead were kind of next to me <laughs> at, at mons. And they were saying, look, the, what you got to re- realize is it's going to be more powerful if her movement is tiny and the reaction from, the actor opposite her is huge. Do you know what I mean? Cause the yeah. camera's there. She, she doesn't need to j- jump up and do this. She can just do it with a look. And then the, the reaction is as if she jumped up and that's so much more powerful because you're flinching. Yeah, yeah, from a yeah. look. You're flinching f- from a glance. That's 100%, that kind of thing's yeah. amazing. Yeah. But I mean, it's also mad because like it, it sometimes like I've, I remember being in rehearsals for plays with like great actors and you watch what they do and it just looks massive. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Sorry. Hold on. It looks massive. It looks like no one's ever going to believe that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But like, then you put them on stage at the national theater, you put them on stage at the wherever and anything else looks like pathetic, yeah. you know, suddenly it's like, wow, you're watching a Titan do something that looks actually very um, naturalistic and nuanced, you know? So it's mad how like different mediums can translate different physical beings, but like, yeah, you've, you, 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 <laughs> you've got to learn it the hard way. Yeah. Cause like if you do one or the other wrong, it's embarrassing. Trust me. Yeah. I feel you. So, so who have been your influences? Like who are you a fan of? acting wise and acting wise there's so many people i remember watching um chiwetel ejiofor who's like a great kind of stage and screen actor i remember watching him and in he was that was like probably the first play i ever saw actually he played a fellow at the donmar warehouse and i I went with um i went with my school and i'd never seen i'd actually just never seen a black actor in a play before at all yeah i mean so like watching someone like him just absolutely done it was quite was quite in instrumental in like me thinking wow maybe this is something that i could do i love that. but like then i watch people like my mark rylance who i think is again like a great stage actor and a great screen actor but then someone like riz ahmed for me is like just like so endlessly truthful yeah. and noble and just like charismatic on screen effortlessly yeah, I mean, I there, there are so many. Like, I love actors, and I love I love acting, but I love actors, you know. So yeah. I've got I've got like talent crushes on so many people. I love that, and and 
and again, that makes it all the more ex- exciting, right? To be in that business or to be in this business yeah. and go, look, I, I'm excited about these, the other people in the business. There's a lot of jobs where yeah, you don't yeah. have that. There's a lot of jobs where yeah, there's yeah, someone yeah. else who's good at your job. Yeah. You're like, fuck them. I don't like that person. <laughs> Ain't my guy. In this job, genuinely, if you're on the right side of it, you're excited and motivated yeah. by those who are killing you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, this is a weird question to, to actors in general, but even more so in this weird lockdown pandemic period. But what is ahead? Do you know what's ahead? Have you got projects in the works? <laughs> Um, it's quite difficult to be fair it's quite difficult to know because like there are a couple of things like I'm meant to be doing a film called Sweet Dreams mate, that's mate, meant to be my, my, shooting soon my agent has had so many emails about that from me because you're in it and you've been bl- blowing me away in the lockdown Nick Frost Ashlyn B yeah. Neve Algar all people who <laughs> just again that acting crush kind of thing they've all done performances that I've been yeah. like fuck, I need to watch that so many times and l- learn from it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it sounds amazing. It's meant to be like a, a, a it's described in its pitch thing as a, a, a British Fargo kind of thing, or think Fargo, yeah, but in a so. small British town. It's like Fargo in like Kent or something like that. Yeah. But it's, um, yeah, it's written by an amazing uh, writer, director called Carl Tibbetts. He's done a couple of episodes of Black Mirror. Did Black, Black Mirror only did Mirror, a, a We Hunt Together recently, didn't he? He which, did We Hunt it, Together I mean, recently. basically what I'm yeah. saying, if if he's listening, if the producer's listening, anyone, just holler. <laughs> like, if you need someone who looks similar to me, just got my details. Um, Bruv, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely make sure the message gets across. <laughs> but, but that must be exciting to be looking at scripts like that and looking at ensembles like that, but then I mean, surreal to have everything paused. Like, what's yeah, happening? I mean, it is exciting, but like there's, there's, there is no certainty about anything. And like, obviously like we can only work when it's safe to work, yeah. you know? And there's something about like this industry that requires intimacy. And that's not just like actors on, 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 in scenes. It's like for like, again, to go back to like for a camera operator to be able to work with a grip, to be able to work with a boom operator mm. or whatever. It's, it's, it's essential that they're able to work in close proximity and like we cannot work if that's not safe you know so and no one no one wants to see do we make that happen? Yeah, no one wants to see a bastardized bastardized version of these of these Basically. projects you don't want to have to do yeah. it where you're stripping everything down and not doing it yeah how it was meant to be but it's also an industry that's incredibly impatient and yeah. an industry yeah. that notoriously likes to forget that there's a world outside of it do you know what I mean? With people having to be away from their families and all sorts of other things, it can be an incredibly demanding industry. So it's going to be interesting to see how they take having to stop until it's the right time, you know? Yeah. But you know what? I also think it's important to talk about the theatre industry because like, I think the film and TV industry will probably get started much quicker. But the theatre industry is, 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 is in real trouble because it's reliant on, um, box office. It's reliant on audiences being sat in close proximity, watching something happening live, you know, and like, that's not something that's going to be happening, be able to happen in the near future. And so many of the actors, the great actors, the great directors, the great writers that kind of like, um, feed into these great films and TVs that, TV projects that we love and that are kind of like keeping us going through these lockdown periods work and come from the theatres. So if those theatres aren't looked after and protected, then that kind of like bloodline is going to be cut off and mm. like it's going to be, it's going to be fucked. It, I think it's so important that the theatre industry is protected by the government, but by anything that's able to keep it going, that keeps it funded, to keeps it ready, so that once there is a time for us to be able to return to it safely, there's something still there. Because at the at, at the rate we're at, there's not going to be anything there. I completely agree, and it's it's an interesting one because I was I was really excited this morning because cinemas have got their kind of their opening date as such, but they're going to be yeah. with social distancing, with with reduced capacities, all this kind of thing. Yeah. A cinema can work with a massively reduced capacity because yeah. those films and programs will end up going on demand. There's other, there's going to be yeah. repeated chances to get that revenue. Number one, theatre isn't going to have that repeated chance to get that revenue. And number two, as you said, kind of earlier on, 
the crowd is an essential part of theatre. It's about having those people there. It's that exchange. It's why rehearsals are are different from show night because you've got that 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 missing member of the cast as such even though yeah, yeah, i'm yeah, not yeah. encouraging panto style like heckling and shouting out in in there but you know what i mean that just the presence of eyes is an amazing thing for changing and as you said how a performance could have felt huge in rehearsal and then once that room is there to suck so much of it into every corner it feels yeah. like the realest performance of all so you you're right. It's a conversation, basically. It's a conversation between the watcher and the watched. And like, again, like, it's the same as like when you go and watch a great concert or even like, yeah. I, like, I don't know what you think about what's going to happen with the football, but it's like, cause I've been watching a bit of the football in the Bundesliga yeah. in Germany and people are struggling out there, you know, yeah. some of these great players yeah. are struggling because like there's not, they're like football is, there's a difference between a training session and like having like fans kind of like willing the, the players on. Yeah. Like people yeah. talk about playing at like these great stadiums, the Bernabeu, New Camp, San Siro, Old Trafford, whatever. It's different, you know? So like for us, like there's something sacred, I think about about the audience and about live performance and about that being viewed and it needs to be preserved and it needs to be protected. Completely. And it's worth mentioning that there's a lot of places that people can donate and support. And again, it does, it takes, it takes both. It's going to take support from the government. The government is going to need to step up and back the arts as it so often hasn't. So even if you can't afford to, to financially support, I guarantee there's petitions and all sorts of stuff to push the government into into supporting the arts and backing and investing in that key that that key groundwork. But I'll wrap things up there. As said, your your earphones <laughs> dying are kind of perfectly timed <laughs> and a perfect symbol that we've got to the hour mark. So our journey is done. But thank you very much for your time, man. It's really appreciated. And as said, thank you, Gangs of London, and I'm, I may destroy you. Have been two of the key things of my of my keeping me sane in the lockdown so i appreciate right. you very much that means a that means a great deal i'm a huge fan of you and your work man so like it was oh, a real it was real privilege having you on me, mate. again good to chat and uh yeah i'll catch you soon i hope love man love You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. I told you it was a good one. That was Paparessia Do. Um, I think that guy's great. I love his outlook. Apologies for my clear hustling to try and get involved in a project he's involved in at the end there. I mean, I've not done that in a while. I know I'm known for it a bit. Um, I freely admit that a big chunk of this podcast is me wanting to have conversations with people that I'm a big fan of and want to work with in the future. <laughs> I have no shame in that. Yeah. So th- there was a bit there where I was kind of going, yeah, man, let's, 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 let's talk to people. Let's, let's, let's do something. But yeah, I love ch- chatting to him. He's a top guy. And again, we've recorded this a week or two ago and it's, it's increasingly tough time. So I really appreciate his time and his candor. He mentioned towards the end there, the risk of, of theatres, Richard E. Grant did a post recently that listed the emergency arts funding from the different countries during this time that's obviously having a huge hit on on the arts, particularly theatre and live music and comedy. Comedy and music have ways of earning elsewhere. You know, you've seen a lot of comedians becoming really active on Twitch. In fact, the only person I've watched more of than Papa in lockdown is David Earl on Twitch. They're in Combo playing Sims and Brian Gittins playing um, Resident Evil. But Richard Herring has moved on to Twitch. Limmy has been on there a long time. Um, so yeah, there's other options, but theatre is the one that's the struggle. So here's the, here's the, the list of emergency arts funding from all the different countries. So Italy has given 245 million euros Teddy Arts, Germany 1 billion euros, France has given 7 billion euros and artists to be paid a wage until August 2021, Canada 
has given 500 million Canadian dollars. New Zealand has given 175 million New Zealand dollars. South Africa slash Madagascar, 7 million. It says pounds. I didn't know they were on pounds, but fair enough. Ireland, 20 million euros. Spain, 76 million euros plus 780 million euros. I'm not sure the breakup there. And the UK so far, I mean, have a guess. You can probably guess that we're going to be the lowest. The lowest on there was Africa with 7 million. Um, The highest on there was Germany with a billion euros. Um, And the UK has so far pledged zero. Not a single dollar, pound, dollar. What am I talking about? Yeah, not a single pound. And that's outrageous. You know, the arts are hugely important. I know there's more important things, but that doesn't mean that there's only the most important things and nothing else, you know. So I do urge people to go and support theatres and stuff where they can. But equally, I urge you to get on to the government and your councils and email them and petition them because it should be them who's taking care of things. It shouldn't be us having to pick up the slack in these areas. The arts are absolutely key to human life, to civilization, in my opinion, to, to for mental health, for, for happiness, for development, for all sorts of different um, areas of expression there's some info for you um i'll be back next week Uh, i've been recording some good ones of late so uh yeah thank you all for tuning in and i'll see you next week ta-ta